Productivities Podcast. I'm your host, Mike Barty. Meal planning is important because it prevents us from being a disappointed wreck when dinner time comes around and we have no clue what to make or even if we have the ingredients to make the meal. It's a time and a money saver, but most importantly, it frees up valuable brain space. Creating a meal plan prepares us for the week to come and gives us peace of mind that we're organized and can feed ourselves and our family. That's why I do it and that's why Plan to Eat helps me do it. Your subscription includes access to the Plan to Eat website and fully featured mobile apps on iOS and Android. And Plan to Eat gives you the tools to clip and organize recipes from any website, the ones your family loves and that fit your dietary preferences and needs. And you can create a meal plan around your schedule. Then what happens is the Plan to Eat software automatically creates an organized shopping list based on your plan. So sign up for your free trial at plantoeat.com slash timecrafting. That's plantoeat.com forward slash timecrafting. The coupon will be automatically applied to your account and can be used when you're ready to subscribe. It's valid for new customers only. Give Plan to Eat a try today. And this is new. This is a new thing that I'm going to be doing uh, in the episodes leading up to this one. I was sharing bonus episodes of my old podcast, Three Minutes of Time Crafting, which was a daily podcast that was kind of inconsistent more than kind of, it was inconsistent. And I decided to put those together into big, longer episodes to share with you so that you could get daily, you know, tips or even just a combined element of tips that I was just, you know, distilling on a daily basis uh, back in 2018 and 2019 on again, and off more off than on again uh, basis. And it dawned on me that when I created that daily podcast, it was the idea of sharing my own insights, my ideas, things that were just coming from me uh, through a podcast. I thought, well, let's create a secondary podcast. It's a daily one called Three Minutes of Time Crafting. And what happened was there was not a lot of listeners to that podcast. Uh, the people that did listen to it loved it and were kind of bummed that it, it went away. But it really didn't gain any traction. And so I stopped it. But the more I've had some time to think about things, especially in light of the current climate where I'm spending more time at home, the world is kind of moving in slow motion in many respects, but very quickly in others. And I've had some time to really plan and think and map things out. And I decided that while... This podcast has been going on for, as of this recording, nearly six years with over 4 million downloads. Most of those were centered around interviews, talking with really great guests, really smart people about their thoughts on productivity and other things that could be tied into time crafting and time management in general. But there was less of me being brought to the table in some respects. I mean, I'm able to kind of talk to the guests and, and converse with the guests in a way that I can bring some of my stuff to the table, but that's not why you're listening. In fact, feedback over the years has said, hey, Mike, talk less when the interviewers are, when you're having those interviews, because we want to be able to hear what they have to say. And, and you know, we don't want you to interject nearly as much. And I've taken that advice to heart, I think, for the most part, with, you know, maybe a few exceptions over the years, um, as I've done this, uh, this podcast. But there's always been this part of me that said, well, you're listening to this show because of me, I think, too. I'm the constant on this episode, so what, on this podcast, so what if, where do I fit in? And 
just to lean into what we're going to be talking about during this episode, which is how I built my business, um, there was a specific incident that happened, I'm going to say about three years ago, where I was at a conference and I was walking through the hall and someone said to me out of nowhere, unprompted, obviously, uh, but just came up to me and said, hey, I love your podcast. And I was kind of taken aback by it. And it really dawned on me then, and I've gotten better about this, that while the podcast has always been an extension of what I do online, uh, for some people, maybe specifically this person, it was the main thing. It was the thing I was known for. And that combined with the daily that didn't go so well, combined with the longevity of this podcast and the amount of downloads that we get for this, I thought, what if I was to find a, a middle ground, a just right? I talk about the Goldilocks factor a lot when I'm talking about time crafting. You know, some things, if they're too narrow in focus, they're, you run out of options, it's too hard. If it's too wide and you don't filter your list enough, it's too soft. But there's that just right, kind of like, you know, Goldilocks and the Three Bears, all of the baby bear stuff was just right for her. I think doing a second weekly episode is my just right. It's going to allow me to do some creative experimentation with these episodes because it's not necessarily going to be, be me talking about what I'm going to talk about today, for example, which is how I built my business or some of the other stuff that you might have heard on in the recent episodes where I shared, you know, those three minute of time crafting kind of anthologies. There's going to be some cool stuff that I've wanted to do as separate podcasts, you know, uh, talking about apps in particular, maybe, maybe talking about uh, certain elements of productivity in their origin stories, like really getting into some storytelling stuff, stuff that I really can't do on Wednesdays when I do the interview based stuff. So this is the beginning of this new chapter in the productivity podcast is two episodes per week. One will be the ones that you're used to, which is, Hey, I'm talking to a guest and I've got great guests lined up uh, all the way through. If you're listening to this, as this episode comes out, I'm booking guests and, and have guests scheduled all the way through to November of 2020. That's how far ahead I have guests either booked or already recorded. Okay. Um, and then this extension, which will happen on weekends, on the Sundays, uh, for the most part, there may be some deviation here and there. I, I'm not going to necessarily say that this is going to happen on Sundays all the time. My goal is to make this happen on Sundays. I've got a content plan that says Sundays is when you release this episode. But uh, the idea behind that is to do some interesting stuff with this. Have you know me talking to you, me sharing some insights and some ideas, some information. Like That's kind of what the whole idea behind this podcast was. And that's what I'm going to explore with this. Now, initially, as you're listening to this episode right now, it's almost going to feel like a version of episode one of this podcast or when I first started podcasting in that there, it's not terribly scripted. Um, there's some bullet points that I'm trying to get across. The segues may not be as fluid. Uh, then again, I've never been known for my, uh, you know, my smooth segues per se. Uh, just ask my old podcasting partner, Michael Schechter, about that. But as I do more of these episodes, they'll get better. And the way that I'm going to get better is by starting now, starting with one step. 
And so I welcome you to this new era of the Productivity is Podcast, where it's now a bi-weekly, not bi-weekly, uh, twice-weekly show. And I'm excited for the future. It's actually, you know, when you do something for a really long time and it kind of becomes rote, it becomes the thing that you do. And during times of uncertainty, you can lean into the things that are certain. In fact, you should, because they're going to keep you grounded. They're going to make you feel like you're doing the right things. They will lead to less overwhelm and you can kind of immerse yourself in those things. Uh, The podcast has been that for me in a lot of ways because I've done things pretty much the same for quite a long time. And now I get to do this and it kind of sparked something a little bit. And I've got some stuff planned. I haven't written it all out yet. Some of these will have to be, you know, written or fleshed out a bit more. But today, thanks to Jeffrey Fate for uh, recommending this, is he actually tweeted, and I'll I'll put the link to that thread in the show notes, because there will be show notes for this as well, uh, the idea of how I built my business. If you've listened to me being interviewed on other podcasts, or you've heard on certain episodes where I touch on my history with Costco and things like that, my origin story has been kind of spread out over several different podcasts, YouTube videos, etc. But I've never really sat down and said, okay, this is how I built my business. This is how Productivity was kind of born. And so I'm going to get into that. And then Obviously, there will probably be some follow-up questions and things like that. And if you have any follow-up questions after listening to this, anything that is particular that you want to ask me, just email me at podcast at productivityist.com. That's the uh, podcast-centered email address that I use for Productivityist. And I'll gladly respond and let you know what, uh, what I can offer in terms of additional kind of information or, or, or maybe some more insights. But to get to what Jeffrey requested, which is how I built my business, I think we need to go back to the the beginning, which is when I initially found that I wanted to do some stuff online that was related to productivity based on the fact that at Costco, I was trying to do my job there, but I had all of a sudden found my love for comedy again, having done improv My roommate at the time had invited me to go to an improv gig and I did all of that through high school. And as soon as I went to that improv gig, I was hooked. I was back at it. And I can say that that's probably a tipping point as to when my Costco career was kind of on the downturn. Whereas this career, which is not what what I intended at all, was on the uptick. So I was trying to balance my Costco managerial role because I was running two different departments at Costco. I was trying to do some more comedy stuff. And around that time, um, I started to date. I'd moved from out west. I had been dating a little bit, but um, I was really actively pursuing, you know, long-term kind of relationships. I wanted that. And uh, that's when I met my, my, that's when I met Anne, who would become my wife. And uh, we've been married now for, uh, we're going on 17 years now. I'm going to overestimate. <laughs> we're, my daughter is 15. So yes, we're going on 17 years. Um, it'll be 60, yeah, it'll be 16 years in July. Uh, so uh, I was trying to balance that. 
and I stayed at Costco through a good chunk of time while this, I was married while I was working at Costco. We got married and then we had our first kid and I was still doing the theater stuff and I was really trying to balance all of this stuff out. And I've always been a night owl and I remember sitting in our, our apartment. We had an apartment in Victoria, beautiful apartment, still love that place. It was a one, it was, it was a big loft apartment with high ceilings and we had a claw foot bathtub and a little alcove up top. And I mean, it was perfect for just the two of us. Once Grace came along, we moved into a house. But I remember sitting watching TV late at night and a Tony Robbins infomercial came on. And those are not, <laughs> those are not new. They've been around for a long time. But this would have been, I would say, probably in 2005, maybe. Um, maybe, yeah, probably 2004, 2005. And it was there that I went online on the internet and I had a PC back then. And of course the internet was a lot slower and such. And I ended up finding, going to his website and he had the time of your life program. Uh, and at the time it was the RPM, but he had it before and it was called OPA. That was his time management or his, his, his kind of his framework. And I decided to go on eBay to look for Tony Robbins and stuff. Cause I, I'm, we didn't have a lot of money. We were, you know, getting married and I wanted, I was in debt. Uh, so I wanted to make sure that I was being responsible, but I knew this was kind of something I needed to do. I did buy the personal power or get the, the get the edge program. I bought that from the infomercial, but I also wanted his time of your life program. So I went on eBay and I found, <laughs> I found the time of your life program, the original version, which, which had his system being called OPA. And I bought that. So I had both of these programs that I purchased and I started to follow through on them. And I realized that once I started doing that, and then I started looking at his time of your life program, and then I started looking at the Covey matrix and all of the Stephen Covey stuff, that really productivity had become part of the things I was doing. So it was no longer a means to help me balance and have harmony between all these different aspects of my life, but it became an, a whole other segment altogether. And because I had this love of comedy, I thought, there's this thing that I took on that was supposed to help me with all these other things. I've now become somewhat obsessed with, or, you know, the, a, a real enthusiast for, and now it's becoming the thing that I, that I'm doing. And I kind of, I find it kind of ironic. And as we moved into our house and, you know, my daughter came along and things got even more frenetic, I realized that I needed to start going online and doing this kind of thing. And I remember sitting in my bedroom in this house and a podcast came along. So oddly enough, yes, I had started a bit of a blog, but the podcast was really the thing. Podcasting was really the thing that kind of got me into this. And, and my friend, Anthony Marco, him and I uh, connected and I had already started doing this podcast called effing the dog, the podcast, because my whole business was around this thing called effing the dog. It was a productivity parody site and effing the dog was a parody of getting things done. So I said FTD instead of GTD and the effing stood for efforting. So it was E-F-F-I-N-G, not the other F. <laughs> and I said efforting the dog. So, and it was all about this thing called eventualism, which is what I eventually changed the name of the business into this, this initiative into because it was all about getting things done eventually. And I was playing this Stephen Colbert-esque character 
And I would have this podcast and I was doing solo episodes initially. And then my friend Anthony Marco and I started doing some other podcasts related to pop culture. So I was really getting into the podcasting game, but I started doing interviews. So even back then, and yes, this is, we're talking uh, 2004 at this point. So yes, it was around 2004 that um, I started doing this and we ended up, uh, I ended up starting interviewing some people on this podcast. And some of the people I interviewed were Seth Godin, um, David Allen, and a few others that you might not know, including Jonathan Colton, who was one of the reasons that I quit Costco in the first place, because he quit his software engineering job to become a singer songwriter and like take that hobby and passion of his and take it to the next level. And he did that around the time that his, his child was born. I wanted to follow that same path. So I ultimately left my job because Jonathan Colton quote told me to, that's the joke. Um, and uh, I'm sure at some point I'll probably talk about the importance of like, you know, the old adage of don't meet your heroes because there was another person that I also spoke to. And I'll, I'll, I'll talk about that in a future episode as well. But back to what I was saying is, uh, so I interviewed David Allen as well. And David Allen's people were very impressed with my, the way I kind of handled this. And David was really impressed too. And I remember the getting things done company said, Hey, we really like what you're doing here. You know a lot about this stuff. And if you're satirizing something, you need to. And they asked if I would be willing to contribute to the Getting Things Done blog. This was a big deal. I'm like, absolutely, I would. Um, at this point, I was on my way out of Costco. I think I'd left Costco at this point. I was working at an Apple dealership. Uh, I was going to make a real go of my comedy career, but it just was not going to go anywhere. So this was kind of like the, the, the next fork in the road where I was going to start writing legitimately for the getting things done times their blog. And if I can find some of those links, I'll link to them in the show notes because there are some articles that should still be up. And I still had this affable kind of quality to my writing because I was still trying to be this, you know, trying to bring some life and, and fun into time management and productivity. And that's what they said. They said, we'd love you to just don't, don't make fun of us. <laughs> don't be this character, be you. So uh, I started to write for them and there was no pay. I don't remember there being any, no, there was no pay for it. But then from there, um, there was a website by Envato called Work Awesome. And uh, I ended up applying to write for it through ProBlogger. So ProBlogger was a job board, still exists. And I, this is back when you could get paid a decent amount for, you know, like get paid like 50, 100 bucks. Like it was, the, the payment structure was still very, very new. So um, it wasn't as fine tuned as it is now. So we're talking probably at this point, 2005, 2006, probably 2006 at this point. Um, in and around there, everything kind of gets a little bit blended together. Time is very fluid now more than ever, I think. And so I started to, I got the job for Work Awesome and I started to contribute and I was getting paid money. So much like when I went and did improv for this improv troupe in Victoria, where I live and they paid me, I was excited. I'm getting paid to do something I love and now I'm getting paid to write. And as a kid, I mean, I won the writing award in grade eight. I published a, um, or semi-published, I guess, back before, you know, self-publishing was a thing. Um, I had a novella called Tiny Adventures at the Local Malt Shop and I went to a young authors conference and I presented it there. And so I've always been an avid writer. I remember my grade eight teacher saying, um, I showed up at that school about three months before the school year ended and I won the writing award having only been there three months. And the teacher said, 
uh, remember this name. You're going to hear from him in the future. And of course, I was going to be this comedy writer, I guess, back then. So I'm writing for Work Awesome. And then uh, I'm also writing for other sites like Stack Social. So I met the Josh uh, who founded Stack Social. And I started writing some stuff for them related around apps. I start writing for Cult of Mac. I'm writing for several different sites. Now I'm no longer working for this Apple store. I'm now working for uh, a film festival here in town and I'm their operations manager. So I'm now working this event job, which is great. I learned a lot operationally from that job, from Costco. And, and again, all of my Mac stuff, getting more acquainted with Apple gear at this, this Apple dealership in Victoria, this, this authorized reseller. And things are starting to, I'm working more hours so I'm working a lot of hours offline and I'm working a lot of hours online. And then I was offered the editor job at Work Awesome. And that was not just that one, but I was also offered another site called The Net Setter. And both of those sites, they said, we need an editor. We need the managing editor. We need someone in charge of this and here's what you're going to get paid. And all of a sudden, I had to make a choice. Um, my son was on his way. So my wife and I were, my wife was pregnant with my son. So this would have been again, going on this is now, now we're looking at 10 years ago. So we're looking at 2010. So this, this journey now we're talking <laughs> six years in, I've been doing a lot of balancing between the offline and online. And now everything's tilting towards online more. And I had to make a choice. Do I stay working at this film festival, uh, where I, you know, I could have stayed and made my way up the, the, you know, I could have just kept that job going, but there was also the, the, I was the, the least senior person there. So even though my role was operations, um, if funding got cut or anything like that, I might've been the first one on the chopping block. I didn't know that there was a lot of uncertainty around that. Uh, there was also a lot of uncertainty around the online stuff too, but I knew that's the direction I was heading in. Plus in Canada, you can, um, you can, uh, take parental leave as a, as a father. And I thought, well, my wife, her job is she can stay working. She's building her acupuncture practice, all that stuff. She can go, I can, I can still do some of the online stuff from home and be there for my son. Um, and this by, by no means was like the smoothest transition because when I worked from home, cause I did end up leaving that film festival job and going all in with, with, with Envato who ran work awesome and the net setter is shortly after I made that decision, Envato decided to sell. Both, I think they shuttered the net setter, if I remember correctly, and then they decided to sell Work Awesome. Uh, I had the opportunity to possibly buy it. I did not have the funds to do so. I was running the Work Awesome podcast at this point, so now I'm, I'm into my second podcast that I'm hosting because I'm also hosting my own podcast. Plus, I'm building my own profile on the side called Vardy.me, which would eventually become Productivityist. And I'm just getting paid by other sites like Envato. I'm doing some stuff for them on the side, such as, you know, uh, evaluating courses through their training platforms. And then Envato sells work awesome. So I went from saying I have two managing editor jobs to I have none. And that's when I went to go work for the next web because the person that worked with me in Envato, Joel Falconer, who I owe a lot to, ended up having a job at the next web. And I ended up going to work for them as the Canada and uh, apps editor for those sites. 
And so a lot of that was spent like keeping up with the latest news and trying to be quick. And again, there's still some articles at the next web that I wrote. Some of them are like op-ed pieces. And then there's some like news pieces that you'll see there. Still kind of writing for Cult of Mac at this point. Um, but I realized I didn't, and th that was the beginning of me realizing I didn't want to be a tech writer. I didn't want to be that one that was chasing all the articles. And I'd been, by the way, to, at this point, Macworld had been something I'd attended and I was starting to get some people paying attention to me and like, oh, can you review my app? So all of this stuff is happening very slowly. And then I went back to ProBlogger, if I remember correctly, and Lifehack was looking for an editor. And there, Chris Smith was working there, and I'd, I think I had worked with Chris before, or we knew of each other in some way, shape, or form, and I ended up getting a job at Lifehack as one of the editors. And then eventually, I became the managing editor. And Lifehack is very different than Lifehacker, but I was getting articles published in Lifehacker, still doing some stuff with Cult of Mac, a little bit less at this point. Uh, Next Web, they had, I'd done some workshops for them. So again, I'm spreading myself out just by doing consistent content. And I'm no longer, I'm now obviously not doing productivity parody. I've become the very thing I was parodying. And after a while, I had to come to another fork in the road. And my productivity is... Uh, website, which I'm now calling Productivityist, I end up uh, having, um, I end up changing Vardy.me to Productivityist because during my podcast with Michael Schechter, and there's a whole history of my podcast history that's completely different, but now I'm doing a podcast with Michael Schechter called Mics on Mics, which became Workflowing for the 5x5 network. We end up, uh, Someone ends up, I end up saying productivityist at some point, because I think I said I was an enthusiast, then I became a specialist, which is, again, part of the journey, and now I'm a strategist, so I'm kind of a productivityist, and that's where the name came from. I remember not being terribly happy with Lifehack near the end, and it wasn't because I wasn't happy with the, I thought Lifehack was great um, in a lot of respects, but I had and, and the team I was working with, we had raised the profile of Lifehack. We got our readership up. And I had written a piece for, for Lifehack, uh, a, an op-ed piece on my own site, and that had gotten a lot of attention. It's still up called What the Bleep Happened to Lifehacker because I wasn't happy with the what Lifehacker was doing, which was not a lot of... I, I, I thought that some of the things they were doing was suspect in terms of, like, are these life hacks? In fact, I'm so done with that term, life hacks. Um, that I don't even really like. To, I don't really use ha the term hacks anymore because to me the term hacks means, the, the origin of that term means to cut without care. I think it's been overused. So I had this article and I'll link to it in the show notes as well. And then Lifehack, as soon as we hit our goal, they said, okay, we want you to publish more. And it became, so we're just publishing for the sake of publishing to get reads, to get eyeballs. And the, the, the articles could be a bunch of empty calories. And if they weren't, it was going to be a lot more work and there was not going to be a lot more pay for that work. So I made a decision that I remember sitting at in Vegas uh, and I was at a conference in Vegas called, at that time, I think it was still called Blog World. It might have been changed to New Media Expo. And I remember having a conversation, thanks to my friend Chase Reeves, he introduced me to Greg Hickman. And Greg Hickman, I'll link to um, his work now too because he's pivoted. I mean, he's done some different stuff as well. But I remember... Chase, I think, was part of that conversation, too. And Greg had said, you need to start doing some coaching. Because look what I like. And I saw what Greg had done. And Greg had started to do the coaching stuff. And he and I basically looked at his 
his coaching page and said, oh, I can do this. Let me, let me, and I basically mimicked a lot of what he offered. Not the pricing per se, but like, oh, this is how he's doing it. Let me do this. And all of a sudden, um, I managed to get some clients, one of whom was from my friend Daniel Gold, who was doing productivity stuff. And he said, I'm not going to be coaching anymore. Would you like to take on some of my clients? That kind of thing happened. And so everything is kind of happening both through consistent, persistent effort showing up. And you've probably heard that phrase before. A lot of patience and just being, again, in the right place at the right time. And so at this point, I decided I'm going to leave Lifehack. But I asked before I left if I could get a final farewell article in. And that was strategic because I wanted people to know where I was going. And so I got that last article in. And lo and behold, now Productivityist is the business. I'm no longer writing for other sites unless they're guest posts. Um, Eventually, the Productivityist podcast becomes the podcast I do because... uh, we ended up stop stopping the work flowing slash Mike's on Mike's podcast. And I wrote a book called the front nine, which I, you know, all of this stuff is kind of happening behind the scenes. And I made some missteps along the way. As I built productivityist, I hired too many people to work with me early on and it cost me money that I didn't necessarily have. Um, I didn't pay attention to data nearly as much as I probably should have. In fact, as much as I know I should have doing more of that now, just making real deliberate moves, which interestingly enough, I did throw, if you listen to the story, I did throw up my history. Like I did make really smart moves when the fork in the road showed up, but it was those little, little, I had a few missteps along the way in every part of my business life. Um, I jokingly said to Josh Kaufman, who I'll link back to his episode in the show notes of where, where I said to him, I said, I'm finally reading the personal MBA, which I should have read years ago. And I only started reading it, I think, last year. So now I'm sitting here talking to you with over 4 million downloads to this podcast credit as of this recording. Um, I have a good number of clients. I've got a book deal that the book is coming out. Uh, you know, we the time crafting book is coming out. Um I have uh, my, I'm spending more time on YouTube, trying to get more stuff done there, working on a planner, which of course, if you go to productivityist.com slash get the daily driver, you can get the daily planner that we've, we've released to the public. And there's other elements to that planner that are still behind the scenes with my time crafting trust membership. I've got a 30 days of time crafting course. So in, in essence, um, how I built my business is through um, persistence, resilience, trial and error, uh, spreading myself out across multiple platforms and multiple areas to be seen. And I started when things were early. It's harder to do now, I think. I think it's, it's harder to be, when I get people asking me, hey, how did you get to 4 million downloads with your podcast? I said, I showed up every week and I did it. Plus, I also had a history with other podcasts before that. So it's not, there's not a, there's no silver bullet for this, just like there's no silver bullet for productivity. So I hope that was helpful. And I know it was a lot of talking about me, but I've never really shared. And and by the way, I left out whole chunks, like, you know, my stepping down at Costco story, which I've told on multiple podcasts, how many podcasts I've hosted, because I didn't mention some of the other ones. There's lots of things. I mean, we're talking now we're in 2020. Um, we're talking, you know, over 15 years of shifting from 
Costco to what I'm doing now. Um, and I've been able to be nimble, which is good. I think being nimble is important. Uh, I've never hired too many people. I've had contractors. Um, I've always kind of, I've had the uh, ability to try to test my framework to see how far I can bend it before it'll break. And it's broken before. Um, I'm getting better at that too. I'm getting wiser. I'm getting older. I'm getting wiser. And uh, so there's no real, you know, silver bullet to this. And in terms of me saying how I built my business, I'm still building my business. Um, It's evolving. Even right now, there's some pivoting going on, talking about like the clockwise initiative, which is stuff for kids, time management for kids. Um, Having conversations with people about different ways to measure productivity instead of being in someone's face in an office when in certain conditions, especially right now, um, there are people that have been thrust into remote work and not talking about remote work specifically, but how do you know if you're being productive? How do you deal with boundaries? Like I'm getting better at that and I will continue to get better at that, which is why maybe why I call my productivity methodology and philosophy time crafting. Cause when you're crafting something and when you're in involved in the craft, you're always striving to get better and to improve your craft one that's a craftsperson ever says, well, I'm done. They do that when they're done. <laughs> and uh, as far as I can tell, I'm still build, building my business. And I'm glad that you're sticking around to see how this business is being built. So thanks so much for the request, Jeffrey. I really appreciate it. If you have any requests as to what you'd like me to touch on, whether it's, hey, can you focus on an app? I don't mind doing that. The history of an app. The history of task management apps. Um Things like that, uh, you know, I'm willing to focus on specific topics. I want to make this episode something that you can listen to over one sitting or a couple sittings, and I don't want it to just be about, like, my story and me, me, me. That's not what this is supposed supposed to be valuable for you. So I hope this episode was valuable. I hope you got a lot out of it. And if you have any questions, email me at podcast at productivityist.com. I'm the one that gets those emails, and I'll be happy to answer them as soon as I can. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of the podcast. If you liked what you heard, I'd love you to subscribe to the podcast. You can do that on Apple Podcasts, on um, uh, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, Overcast, wherever you are listening to podcasts, you can do that. Uh, And if you're so inclined, a rating and review would be really helpful. I'd just love to hear what you think of this episode and what you think about the, the direction that I'm, you know, kind of pushing some of this uh, podcast into by adding the second uh, episode per week. Um, ratings helpful reviews give me more more to go on. So if you have the ability to do that, I'd love to uh, I'd love to hear from you. Uh, that's it for this episode. Thanks so much for tuning in. I'll see you next time. Until then, keep moving things forward. See you later.